were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Um, today's passage comes from Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. It's good to be with you today, uh, this January Sunday. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to, to be able to meet you after the service. So please come up and, and say Hello before you head out today. Man, I'm looking forward just to diving into God's word with you this morning. My guess is, is that most of us at some point in our lives have heard the expression uh, that there are only two things that are certain in life. Anybody know what those are? Death and taxes. Death and taxes. That was made famous by Benjamin Franklin, though it didn't originate with him. And whether you agree with his sentiments about life or not, I think one thing that all of us can acknowledge, that probably all of us should acknowledge at some level, is that life in a broken world is hard. That, that there's difficulties that all of us encounter as we walk through the messiness that life is at times. And, and that shouldn't really be a surprise to us. God told Adam and Eve when they rebelled against him, when they sought to go their own way instead of following God in his good ways, that life was going to be difficult. It was going to be hard when they sought to be the king and ruler of their own life instead of following God and trusting him. But that doesn't mean that the life has to be joyless. We have the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come and he came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God and was raised again from the grave so that we could have life forever and ever. Because of what Jesus has done, we can have joy in this life. We can have hope in this life. We can have life in the midst of the messiness and the mundane because we know and we believe and we fight to know and fight to believe that one day Jesus will come again and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more sin, no more difficulty, no more death. But until that day, until that day comes when Jesus either calls you home or comes again, we are in this world. Jesus has called us to continue to live in this world, but not of this world, seeking to faithfully follow him now as Lord and King. That's what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author who, who passed away recently, said that our life as disciples is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. The direction of the new heavens and the new earth, the new city, where Christ will rule and reign, where his glory will shine forth. The fullness of the kingdom of God will be present. We continue to move forward in that direction as we seek to be faithful and so as followers of Jesus, you and I, in the midst of community, led by the Holy Spirit, have to figure out how to navigate the messiness and brokenness of this world. Because for all of us at different points in time, life isn't always filled with joy. It's not always exciting. Sometimes it's 
difficult and challenging. We encounter difficulty and challenge and temptation. We are hurt. We hurt others. We sin. We sin are sinned against. We experience apathy and distraction. We falter. We fail and fall at different times. But by God's grace, he has not left us alone to figure this out, how to navigate this life. He's given us his word, his word where he tells us about who he is and who we are in relation to him, that if we want to know his good ways, if we want to know what it means to experience abundant life that we can find as we submit ourselves under the word of God, allowing it to interpret our lives. He's given us his Holy Spirit that we aren't just saved and set apart on our own, that he fills us with his spirit, that we can be attentive to the very voice of God leading us and guiding us to follow him in his ways. Empowered to say no to sin and yes to holiness. And he gives us his people, the group of spirit-filled people who are seeking to be attentive to the spirit, seeking to faithfully follow Christ, to encourage and help one another to be faithful, to be faithful in our life and as disciples. Well, today we're going to begin a a different kind of sermon series, and it's a a sermon series that we hope to and plan to to come back to over and over again, I would say for years to come. The name of this sermon series is on the screen, Life Along the Way. And what we mean to do and seek to do in this is that we're going to open up God's Word and seek to address different topics, different issues that come to bear on our lives that we have to encounter in this life as disciples, as we're living life along the way. And what we want to do in this is we want to open God's Word and talk very practically, very practically about those challenges, about those topics that come up as we live life along the way. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about three different things, bitterness, the sacredness of life and shame. All things that we believe can, can be a hindrance to us as we seek to be disciples because at the beginning of February, we're going to do a short sermon series called Discipling where we're really going to dive into and talk about what does it mean for us as a church to be disciples who make disciples. The reason we're talking about things like bitterness and shame is because those can be unnecessary obstacles for you and I to actually be faithful to that end. to to help encourage one another to be disciples who are faithfully following Jesus if we have bitterness in our lives or shame in our lives or don't value life in one another. And today we're going to begin by talking about bitterness. Something that that I would say that all of us have or do or will deal with in our life at some level. Bitterness is something that affects us and affects our relationships. So I want to encourage you to do something this morning. I want you to listen for you today. This is one of those sermons that could probably be pretty easy to go like, oh man, I need to send this to somebody else. I I know someone who's bitter and they need to listen to this today. And maybe they do. I'm not saying you can't do that. But don't just think about the other person. Listen for yourself. I, I want you to be attentive to the voice of the Spirit this morning. That God would uncover things maybe in your own heart and life that you haven't even acknowledged on your own yet. That you would listen to the voice of the Spirit this morning. Take notes, whether that's on a piece of paper or the New Sojourn app or your phone, whatever it is. Like Write things down so that you can go back to because this is just a short amount of time we have together. And so my encouragement to you as you listen for yourself, as you seek to process and pray through this, that you would actually take this back with you throughout this week in your own time of prayer before the Lord, in the context of community, to actually work this out in your life. Talking about a topic like bitterness, there's some irony even in it because my guess is there'll be some of you that are tempted to be bitter about how I talk about bitterness this morning. 
Man, would you just pray? Would you just listen? God, help me to listen attentively, to be open to what you'd have to say to me today. My my prayer is that God would use this in our life to bring joy and freedom and health to your soul and to this community. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to do that before we jump into his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks just for this opportunity we have to gather together today. And I pray right now that you would help us to listen to your voice. And God, I pray that you'd speak to us. We believe that your Holy Spirit uses your word to impart wisdom and knowledge to us that we might understand who you are. And God, through that, I pray that you bring conviction. I pray you'd bring transformation. I pray, God, right now that as we listen to your word, that you would rid us of bitterness as we pursue a long obedience in the same direction. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to try and answer a few questions in our time together. We're going to put these up on the screen. Five questions we're going to try and answer this morning. What is bitterness? Where does it come from? How can you tell when you're bitter? Why talk about bitterness? And how do we get rid of it and guard against it? What is bitterness? Where does it come from? How can you tell when you're bitter? Why even talk about it? And how do we get rid of it and guard against it? So let's dive into our text and find hopefully some answers to this. Just for the sake of context, we're just looking at verses 31 and 32 in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, but for the sake of context, so we understand what Paul has been talking about so that we can get what he's talking about in these verses, it's important. So what Paul has just been talking about in the earlier parts of Ephesians and in Ephesians 4 in particular is really similar to what we talked about last week from Colossians chapter 3. That because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus was crucified for your sin, was raised again from the grave, that when you place your faith and trust in him, he imparts new life to you. He gives you a new identity as you're united to him in his death and in his resurrection. You are no longer captive to the ways of the world. You are no longer captive to your old flesh. If you are in Christ, you've been set free. And in your freedom now, you can faithfully follow King Jesus as a new creation. You can say no to sin. He's empowering you by his spirit to do that. Because the reality is before Jesus rescued you, you were enslaved to your sin. And if you aren't yet a follower of Christ today. Right now, as you sit in your seat, that is still true for you. You are enslaved to your sin. You can't say no to it. But when Jesus comes to bear on your life, he sets you free and everything has changed for you. You are now free to obey. Now, being free to obey doesn't mean that you always will obey, but that you always do obey. So by God's grace and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul gives us instruction for our life, for this new life. He tells us, because of our new life, because of our freedom in Christ, look at verse 22, chapter 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and and, verse 24, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We're supposed to take this old self and put it away, put it off. And in place of that, as God transforms us to put on our new self to become more and more like Jesus. But notice what he says in the middle of those two verses, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What Paul's saying is you need transformation. You need to think differently now. To have the mind of Christ That out of the mind of Christ, the overflow for your life would look more and more like Jesus. 
to live differently, to model your life after Jesus, to follow him in all of his good ways. And you are able to now do that by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit that's alive in your bones because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Which brings us to verse 31. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What Paul is calling us to are things that are part of the old life, things that need to be put off, things that need to be put away. And the leading off this list is bitterness. That's not unintentional. Paul is very specific in what he's doing here, what he's seeking to communicate to us. He starts off by saying, put off bitterness. Not just some bitterness, but all bitterness. Which brings us to our first question, what is bitterness? In the truest sense of the word, something that's bitter tastes bad. There's a bitter taste in our mouth, and that's, that's really what this word means. And Paul is not exactly talking about that, but the metaphor is at play. The definition for bitterness is that it's the feeling of displeasure or indignation or anger at someone for something they did or did not do that has caused you injury or insult or hurt. It, it isn't anger. It's different than anger. And that's important for us to understand because our world often doesn't use the term bitterness, but just talks about anger. And we'll see more of that in a little bit. But, but it's separate from that. You, you have a, a bad, a bitter taste in your mouth when you think of that person or situation. If there's bitterness at play, you, you, you have that kind of bad taste in your mouth. It's, it's a hostility of mind at some level towards that person or that situation. Can you relate to that? Have you had that in your life at some point in time? Maybe you're experiencing that right now, even as we start to talk about bitterness. Some synonyms of bitterness are resentment, animosity, enmity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says there that love is not resentful. The actual original language says love keeps no record of wrongdoing. So someone who is bitter is someone who keeps a record of wrongs. I think you know how this plays out because you've probably either done this yourself in the midst of an argument or it's been done to you. You're, you're talking with your spouse or a roommate or a family member about the dishes not being done and all of a sudden we're talking about things that happened five years ago, right? Like if, you, if you're one of somebody who keeps a record of wrongs, you're like storing them up for ammunition. Like, oh man, I can't wait to unload. You fill that clip up and you just start taking shots, You're keeping a record of wrongdoing. Have you ever done that before? Do you find yourself with certain people, certain relationships, keeping a record of wrongs? Well, this leads to our second question. Where does bitterness come from then? We have to understand that bitterness is rooted in hurt. It starts to creep up in our lives when someone has wronged you or sinned against you in some way. And this is important to understand. That can be real hurt or perceived hurt. It can be real hurt or perceived hurt. Sometimes bitterness starts to creep up in our life because someone has grossly sinned against us. And maybe that's where you experience your bitterness right now. You think about a situation in your life and you think, man, someone has really, they actually sinned against me in significant ways. They've slandered you or they've abused you or they've neglected you, abandoned you, taken something or someone from you. Sometimes bitterness creeps up in our life out of hurt that isn't outright sin, but it's just caused pain in our life. Maybe 
when you were younger, your parents moved to a new city, and that disrupted your whole life. It's not inherently wrong, but it caused pain in your life. Or maybe your relationship with a close friend has changed since college, or you changed community groups or something like that, and just things are different now. It's not outright wrong, it just causes pain. Often, bitterness begins with unmet expectations. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but it's important for us, I think, to understand this, that when we have unmet expectations, we feel hurt by that. But the problem arises for us relationally is not when we not only have unmet expectations, but we have unvoiced expectations. The person doesn't know they haven't met our expectations because they don't even know what those are. And then to add on to that, if we have unmet expectations, which are unvoiced expectations that are also unreasonable expectations, and that leads to a lot of conflict and a lot of bitterness. That even if you were to voice those expectations, the person would say to you, I can't actually do that. And those can lead to bitterness in our lives. Bitterness is always tied to things that are significant to you. We can be bitter at God. We can be frustrated with Him. We can feel hurt by God. And that's important for us to wrestle through as well. But what Paul is talking about here is not bitterness towards God. It's bitterness towards people, bitterness in relationship. But here's the thing, and this is crucial for you to understand if you're going to see bitterness put away in your life, if you're going to see all of it rooted out of and and you get rid of it completely in your life, people don't cause your bitterness. People don't cause your bitterness. They may provoke it, because they really have hurt you or really have sinned against you significantly, but your bitterness is not a result of their actions. It's your response to their actions. It's not a result of their actions. It's your response to their actions because bitterness is an issue of your heart. No one places that there. It's something that takes root in your heart and starts to blossom up in your heart as a response to someone else's actions. If you have been or are bitter, it isn't someone else's fault. Ultimately, what Paul's trying to tell us here is it comes from your old self. It's fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5 tells us that the the fruits of the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident to us. And he lists off a bunch of things. But in that list, he says enmity, strife, jealousy, and fits of anger. Things that are connected to bitterness. This is really significant to grasp and acknowledge if we're going to put away all bitterness from our lives. My guess is this is difficult for some of you. I know it can be difficult for me because you have spent your life in the midst of your bitterness about a particular person or a particular situation feeling justified in your bitterness because of what that person did to you, because of what they said to you, because of what they didn't do for you that you feel justified in your bitterness, like you have some right to be bitter towards them. I I know that's the case for you because it's been the case for me. I can feel justified when when someone has done something in my life or towards me, and, and I don't feel like they're remorseful over it. I don't feel like they've taken any responsibility for it. And I think, well, I, I should be justified in my bitterness against them because they don't even see what they've done. They don't want to even acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. But I need you to hear me on this. Bitterness is not honoring to the Lord. It is not honoring to him. It's not who I am any longer. And if you are in Christ, it is not who you are any longer. 
That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. It's why he places this in this list of things to be put away completely and fully. This leads to our third question. How can you actually tell when you're bitter? I think Paul gives us an indication of this to help us figure this out a bit more in our life in the rest of verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness is an internal reality of your heart. Man, bitterness doesn't stay there. It it seeps out. It affects other parts of your life. It affects your relationships. When you experience wrath in your life, you, you have such a strong desire for justice and vengeance. When you have anger, you experience anger. It's, it's rage that comes out, maybe at different times, directed in different ways. Or maybe it's just that kind of low-level seething frustration. When clamor is present in your life, clamor is about shouting. It may come in the form of raising your voice, yelling at other people. Here's the interesting thing. When bitterness is at play in your life and you experience clamor, you may direct your clamor towards someone on the road that you don't even know. Like, man, I'm, that's coming from somewhere else. It's not about that person. But man, I'm quick to explode. You bring it home. You are clamorous with your kids or your spouse or your roommate. You're, you're raising your voice. You're yelling. But sometimes clamor can come out in grumbling and complaining. And all of that can think, take things up a level to what I think are even more significant struggles of sin. That's slander and malice. If you get to the point of slandering someone, you are talking about them in a negative form, most often in an untruthful, hyperbolic way about them in front of other people, behind their backs. You tear that person down with your words. This is helpful for us to think about slander. You're disrespectful of that person and how you speak about them, especially in front of others. And when you get to the point of malice towards another person, you want ill for that person. You don't want things to go well for them. This can come out in different ways too. You you can tell when bitterness is not only present in your life, but is deeply rooted in your heart, is manifesting in malice when you can't think of good about that other person. You can't think good of them in any way. Are you always critical about someone? Are you always negative about them? If any of these things are present, then bitterness is likely at the root. It's likely at the root. So why talk about this? Why spend time on a Sunday morning as we gather together as God's people, why spend time talking about bitterness? And at this point, you may be thinking, yeah, this is good again for somebody else. For most people, man, you don't know what actually happened to me. You, you don't know the sin that's been exacted against me. You don't know the, the things that have been said. You don't know my family history. You, you don't know what's going on. And, I, and I, I think I can relate to you now because I've been there before too. I've been hurt and felt justified in my bitterness. But here's why we need to talk about this this morning. Here's why we need to put this all the way. Bitterness is poison. And it's not just poison for the sake of a community. Bitterness is poison to your soul. It is a silent killer of your soul. 
If you are dealing with bitterness right now and you're not actually dealing with it, like it's just infected you, it is eating away at your soul. It is robbing you of joy right now in your life. It it is destroying you from the inside out. Bitterness doesn't just destroy you though, it starts to destroy relationships around you because bitterness clouds the way you perceive people. It clouds the way you treat people. It becomes difficult for you to relate to others. It becomes difficult for you to trust others. Again, I know this. I'm not saying this to you because you just need to hear this. I need to hear this in my own life. The Holy Spirit's been challenging me in my own life this week because I see this in my own life, in my own heart, in my own soul. Why we need to talk about bitterness, though, is because bitterness also is quick to suck other people into your bitterness. If bitterness has popped out of your life and you start to be angry and slanderous and malicious towards others, man, it's really easy to put your hooks in somebody else. Say, come along in my bitterness train with me. Let me share with you what this person did to me so that you also can be bitter. That affects other people. It sucks them in. Why talk about bitterness? Because verse 30 says your bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. When you remain in that place of not putting away all those things of your old life, you grieve the Holy Spirit. It saddens the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit isn't disappointed in you. He's sad. It grieves him because it's counter to your new identity in Christ. Bitterness is counter to your new self. It doesn't come from a renewed spirit or mind. It comes from a heart that is not right before God. See, our old self is like having old smelly clothes that are stained, that are filthy, that are nasty, covered in gross sorts of things. And when bitterness is present in your life as a follower of Jesus, what takes place is if you don't see that to be removed out of your life, you put these new clothes on that you have in Christ, but you just put them on top of the old smelly clothes. And for a little while, you can cover it up. But man, eventually that stank is going to come through. That smell is going to start to seep out. Bitterness and its attached fruits of wrath Anger, clamor, slander, and malice can't be covered up. They must be put away. All of them. So how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of bitterness? And, and, and also, how do we actually guard against it from even creeping up in our life in the first place? Let me first say this before we get into some specifics, some practical things here. I believe the gospel that Jesus Christ has given new life, that you, all your sins, all your unbelief, your bitterness, your anger, your wrath, your malice towards others, if you are in Christ, has been crucified on that cross. That Jesus gives you new life. And because of that, you can be rid of bitterness. I really believe that. I want you to hear me on that now, even as we get into some practical things. I believe God can do that because he tells you in his word that he wants to transform you. He will transform you from one degree of glory to another. And so together, as God's people, by his grace, led by his Holy Spirit, we can overcome this. Verse 24 again says that you have a new self. And your new self is made possible because of Jesus and it's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And guess what? In, in God, there is no bitterness at all. And so if God is making you more like Jesus than he wants to and is going to root bitterness out of your life. So the first practical thing we need to do if we're going to see bitterness 
out of our life, put away entirely, is to repent. I can't emphasize this enough. If you are bitter right now in your life, you need to repent. Because bitterness is sin. You need to repent. And repenting, you have to actually acknowledge before God that you're bitter. And I would guess that there are people in this room right now that urgently need to do that. Maybe even right now in this moment, you could cry out to God, God, would you forgive me of my bitterness? I've never acknowledged that to you. My fear for you, if you don't repent, is that your heart has become so hard and so calloused, so seared over, that the voice of the Spirit is just such a faint voice right now. Don't shut it out. Friend, if you are in the midst of bitterness and you have not repented, please, I plead with you, I beg of you to repent. Turn to God. Ask him for forgiveness for your bitterness. And ask him to root it out of your life. Ask him to surgically remove it in whatever way he would see fit to rip it out of your heart and your life. Repent. Second, to rid yourself of bitterness, part of your repentance is putting on the new self. Put on the new self. That's what Paul calls us to in verse 32. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. All of these things that Paul lists out in verse 32 are the relational opposites of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. All of them are brought about by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us that enmity is a fruit of the flesh, but things like love and gentleness or tenderheartedness, kindness are fruits of the Spirit. So in order to put on the new self, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. You need to plead with the Holy Spirit, would you cultivate kindness within my heart? Would you cultivate gentleness within my heart and tenderheartedness in my heart towards others, even those that have wronged me, even those that I struggle with? But perhaps the most significant thing of the new self, and this is our third way to get rid of bitterness, to overcome it in our life, is the last thing Paul says. Forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. Forgive one another. Now, this isn't a full sermon on forgiveness. We don't have time to do that this morning, but we will in the midst of this series as we talk about life along the way because I think we can struggle with understanding what forgiveness really is. But there are a few nuances we need to address here about forgiveness in order for us to really get what Paul's calling us to. So hear me out on this. Genuine forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness can be given when an acknowledgement of wrong has been made. That's how your forgiveness works between God. God doesn't give blanket forgiveness. He calls you to repentance. God calls you to acknowledge his sin before you. You have to actually say, God, I've rebelled against you and I'm throwing myself wholly on the grace you give me in Christ. So when someone is unwilling to acknowledge wrong, you can't fully forgive them yet. But, and this is really important, what you can do, what you must do, is have a spirit of forgiveness. And a spirit of forgiveness that's rooted in the gospel says that when that person, if that person comes to me and confesses and apologizes and asks for my forgiveness, I will not only give it to them, I will do so quickly because I recognize the forgiveness I have in and through Jesus. 
See, one of the core reasons that I believe that bitterness often remains in our lives is because we do not have a spirit of forgiveness. We like to hold on to our hurt. It's a weapon we can use in our life to justify our actions, to justify our feelings. And so we don't have a spirit of forgiveness. And when we don't have a spirit of forgiveness, we've often forgotten the truth of the gospel. Do you remember that your own sin demanded that Jesus be crucified for you? Like your rebellion against God was so heinous and so extravagant and so over the top that Jesus literally had to die for you in order for forgiveness to be had in your life. But when you repent and when you believe the gospel, God removes all guilt of sin. God no longer holds that sin over you anymore. The scriptures tell us he removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He forgives you fully and completely. But when you hold on to your anger, when you hold on to bitterness, when you're unwilling to have a spirit of forgiveness towards others, or when someone comes and says, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I sinned against you in this way. And you hold that over them. You keep that record of wrongs. What you're saying is, I'm good with grace in my life. But man, it's not okay for you. And when you say something like that, when you hold on to your bitterness and your anger, what you're actually communicating is that you believe that the wrong that's been done against you is more significant than your own rebellion against God. God may be able to forgive me. Christ had to be crucified for me, but I don't know about you. Friends, this cannot be the case. As new creations in Christ who've been been forgiven fully by God because of Christ, we must have a spirit of forgiveness if we're going to put away all bitterness. I also want you to understand that when you are bitter towards a person, you are actually at some level bitter towards God because you're wrestling with, well, God, you allowed this to happen. It doesn't seem like you fixed this problem. You haven't fixed this situation. But I need you to hear me on this. God will make all wrongs right. God will make all wrongs right. All sin will be dealt with. All of it. Either in an eternity in hell or on the cross. No sin will go undealt with. Jesus took on sin for those who placed their faith in him. But if not, then people will spend an eternity in hell bearing the righteous wrath of God for the way they've hurt other people, for the way they've rebelled against God. All of it will be dealt with. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul's reminding us there, God is going to take care of everything. But then Paul goes on and says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Things like bitterness. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's freeing because it means that God will absolutely take care of it, and it's not up to you to remedy all of those things. But you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We have to keep coming back to that and, and being reminded, reminding one another because our emotions are all over the place. Your emotions are real. Your hurt is real. 
So I don't want you to hear this as some flippant comment, like, well, just forgive. Just trust God. I know some of your hurts. Some of the things that have been done to you or said about you. I know some of the things that you've done to other people. So this isn't a flippant, flippant brushing this off. Because I also know my God. And I believe him. I believe that he, when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That he actually means it. And that I can trust myself to him fully and completely. And I hope that you'll believe him too. I hope you'll believe him today and I hope you believe him tomorrow and the next day after that. But I know you're going to need to be reminded of it because I need to be reminded of it. I need you to remind me. When bitterness starts to creep back up in my life, I need you to remind me. No, God says he's going to do this. And he will. And he is faithful. And he is true. And trust yourself to him. And we have to help one another. The enemy wants to weasel his way in and keep you captive to your bitterness. But God has set you free from it, friend. Trust him. You can be quick to forgive when someone admits their sin against you because you remember that God in Christ forgave you fully and completely. That doesn't mean that everything is going to go back to being fine with that person. You may not want to spend much time around them and you can work those things out in the midst of waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Man, it honors your God. It honors your God and it crushes bitterness. I know that putting away all bitterness can be especially hard, though, when someone doesn't acknowledge wrong. When they don't admit those things that they've done to hurt you in your life. That's been true, once again, in my life. But, but the gospel comes to bear in my life. And God reminds me of his truth again. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he reminds me that Jesus is not only an example for me to follow, but a means of my rescue. To rid myself of unforgiveness and bitterness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 24, the Apostle Peter writes this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Just to look at Christ's life to understand what we're supposed to do, so we might follow in his steps. This is what he says about Jesus. When he, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Here's the key but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I cannot overcome my bitterness on my own. You cannot overcome your bitterness on your own. You can't rid it out of your life on your own apart from the restoring and resurrecting power of Jesus. And I know that for my own life, I need to trust that God has allowed this thing to happen in my life, this hurt to happen in my life, not because it was right, not because it was good, because God uses every single thing in my life to conform me more and more to the image of his son. He's making me more and more like Jesus, even through the sin of other people, even through my own sin towards other people. As I wait for the day that Christ will make me fully like himself, I have to continue to repent of my bitterness. I have to continue to fight against anger in my life. I need to continue to focus on my Savior who has and will redeem and restore me and make all things new. Friend, repent and let go of your bitterness. Let go of your bitterness. Put it all away. Walk in the freedom of the grace you've been given in Christ. 
Walk in the freedom of forgiveness you've been given in Christ. Entrust yourself fully to God, knowing that in Christ he will heal all of your wounds. We can rid ourselves of bitterness, but I also want us to guard ourselves against bitterness as well. So just to close, I want to give you three things for us to be practicing in relationship, particularly in those close relationships of our, of our family or our community here at Sojourn. Because the enemy, again, he wants to cultivate bitterness because bitterness leads to broken relationships and disunity. And so if we can guard against that, then all the better for our relationships. The first thing is just to believe the best in other people. And what I mean by that is not that you overlook all sin. There may be legitimate sin in somebody else's life. You may be discerning that about them. But I want you to believe the best, and I want you to think of that person as Christ thinks of them. See them as Jesus sees them. Believing the best means that you, you actually think that most people don't wake up in the morning with malicious thoughts. Most people in your life don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know what, today sounds like a good day to ruin their life. Most people aren't sociopaths. So, so if I believe the best, I can think they did actually hurt me. That's a real hurt. But I, don't, I, I need to believe the best about them, that Jesus is doing a work in them as much as he's doing a work in me. So let me believe the best about them. The second thing you can do is be quick to address hurt in your life. If someone says something to you or about you or doesn't say or doesn't do something and you feel hurt in your life, be quick to address it. I think bitterness starts to take root in our life when we just stew we just keep thinking about it, just keep playing it over and over in our mind, and soon that little thing becomes a big thing. That little seed of bitterness has taken on a, a life of its own, and there's an oak of bitterness in our life right now. We're, we're so overshadowed by it, we, again, we can't think good about the other person. When you're quick to address it, though, you go and you say, brother, sister, you said this thing the other day, or you, you did this particular thing, and it, and it hurt my feelings. I don't think it was necessarily intentional, but I need you to know that. Here's the other thing, though. When you're quick to address it, maybe you recognize that you might have caused pain in somebody else's life. We try to do this as a staff team, that if we leave a conversation or a meeting and think, you know what, I know I made that joke about this, but I don't know if that, that might have hurt his feelings. It might have hurt her feelings. You know what it takes? It takes 30 seconds to pick up the phone and say, hey, brother, I made a joke about this today. Are you, was that okay? Did that hurt your feelings? Because if it did, I'm really sorry. It's not my intention. It's over then when we're quick to address those things. Because again, most of the time, when we step on one another's toes, it's usually not intentional. We say, oh, I'm so sorry that I did that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. That wasn't my intention. I could see how that would hurt you, but I'm, I'm really sorry for the way that made you feel. I love you. I care about you. Which leads to the last thing. Be willing to and quick to forgive. Oh, actually, let me say one other thing about being quick to address something. I wrote this down in my notes because I want to make sure I said this. If you're going to be quick to address something with someone, talk to them face to face. At least pick up the phone and talk to them on the phone. Please, please do not text them. Do not Facebook messenger them. Now you may say, hey, can we talk? But then have a conversation. So much gets lost in translation over text. We can't discern tone or body language. And it's not really fair. We, we're quick to type things off, rattle things off with our thumbs that we would be a lot less willing to say face-to-face with people. And go to the person, love them enough to go and say, can I sit down with you over a cup of coffee? Can I come by? Can we grab some time on the phone? Be quick to address it. 
Third and finally, be willing to and quick to forgive. When someone does come to you, you come to them and say, hey, you hurt my feelings. You, you did something against me. You said something against me. I heard you were talking about me to this other person behind my back, and that really, that's not okay. And that person says, brother, sister, you're right. I, I did do that. Would you forgive me? Be quick to forgive them, just as God and Christ forgave you. Be quick to forgive, willing to forgive. We will not, will not tolerate emotional blackmail in our church. Where when you go and ask for forgiveness of someone and they say, ah, I don't like the way you said sorry. Let me think about it. Ah, you need to show me before I really give you forgiveness. That is wickedness. We will not tolerate emotional blackmail. We must be a community that loves one another enough to say, man, I have been lavished in grace by God, and so I want to give grace to you as it's been given to me. Believe the best. Be quick to address and be willing to forgive. All of this, friends, all of this in every way, shape, and form is different than the way the world acts. It's different than the way the world acts and deals with hurts. Like I said at the beginning, our world often doesn't use even the term or phrase bitterness. They've got anger, being justified in that. But you know what? Jesus' ways are always different than the ways of the world. We live life in the midst of a broken world, and that is hard. But if we are going to be disciples who make disciples, by God's grace, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us, along with all malice. May we be a people filled with the Spirit of God who are kind to one another, who are tender-hearted, who forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. And may God get all the glory for it. Amen. You know, one of the joys and privileges we have as a church is that we get to take communion together. And it's our first act of response to the preaching of God's word. As we come forward and eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and, and take the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us, it, it reminds us, it compels us to focus on the fact that Christ had to die in order for you, for me, to be reconciled to God and for us to be reconciled to one another. So I encourage you this morning as you come and eat the bread and drink the cup to rejoice in the grace and mercy that's been given to you. But as you do that, may it compel you to be gracious and merciful towards others. So look around the room this morning. and Think about it. I need to put away all bitterness towards anyone else because a new self has been made possible because of Jesus, because he died and rose again. But let me encourage you also to do this before you eat and drink this morning. Would you just come before the Lord in confession and repentance? Before you eat that bread and, and drink that cup, would you just say, Lord, I, I, I've been wrestling with bitterness. I, I haven't confessed that to you. I haven't repented of it. Would you repent of it before you eat and drink today? And maybe there's somebody in this room right now that you know that you need to be reconciled to. Would you go to that person even now before you eat and drink? At least commit before the Lord that you would go to that person this week be reconciled. Be reconciled to one another because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you're really wrestling with stuff this morning, I, again, I want you to process and pray through that on your own and in community, but come forward afterwards. I'll hang out down here after service is over. If you need to talk or you need prayer this morning, I'll be down here. A couple of our other leaders, pastors will be here as well. We'd love to pray with you about that. For those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, I'm grateful that God has brought you to be here this morning, and I hope what you hear this morning is hopefulness, 
because maybe you have bitterness in your own life and you're hearing Jesus is the way for your bitterness to be overcome. But if you don't yet know Christ, we want you just to hang out in your seat this morning. Don't come take communion. Take Jesus today. Cry out to God that you need to repent for the very first time and acknowledge your need for a Savior. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables in the front or the tables in the back. And what Jesus, our Redeemer, has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray, very simply, but not not in a flippant way, God, that you'd forgive us. God, I pray that you'd forgive us of our bitterness. God, we repent of that this morning. It is destroying us if it's present in our lives. So God, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help us to put it all away. In every way, shape, and form it comes out, would you free us, God? Would you renew our minds so we might think differently and live differently so that our soul might be renewed as well? Let it not take root in our lives. Root it out of our life and our community. Don't allow the enemy to gain a foothold. That he would seek to needle us to be angry, needle us to be bitter. Tell us that we're justified in it. God, help us to let it all go, to put it all the way and to entrust ourselves fully to you that everything that ever has been done wrong, will be dealt with. Help us to trust ourselves to Christ. Set us free to love one another and to be faithful disciples. God, we love you and we thank you that you love us and that you're so patient with us in the midst of the messiness of this life. Help us to live life along the way in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.